0: Get in the know, nonstop Vikings talk. It's Purple Daily on Score North and ScoreNorth.com.
2: Purple Daily on Draft, every Monday right here on the Purple Daily YouTube channel. We got Miles Gorham, we got Tyler Fornis, Declan Goff here to take you through another edition of Purple Daily on Draft, where we break down basically the NFL Draft from a year-round perspective. So on today's episode, with training camp now basically wrapped up, we're going to get into the winner's And losers of training camp from a rookie, and we'll also include second-year players into that uh, conversation as well. Got a pretty packed show. We're gonna probably touch on obviously the Trey Lance situation going to Dallas, and the Vikings opting to most likely keep Jaron Hall. Uh, We'll get into some college football prospects, which rookies maybe aren't in danger of, uh, which rookies of the Vikings are not in are in danger of of missing the fifty-three man roster, and some college football prospects. So a lot of things in the chamber. Now we are recording this. On a Monday afternoon, about uh, 26 hours or so from the official cutdown day, the Vikings are already announcing a few cuts. So we'll try to keep this, I guess, as evergreen as possible. Uh, but there's probably going to be some changes to the Vikings' roster between now and next week's episode of Purple Daily on Draft. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to start with the winners and losers of, um, of training camp from rookies and second-year players. We're going to break it down this way. We're going to have 4-0 give the winners from Vikings training camp from a rookie and second year players. So Forno, uh floor is yours here. Who are, who are the guys that stood out to you, made the most of their opportunity, maybe solidified their spot on the 53. Who are the winners from the rookie and second year class uh, from the Vikings at training camp?
0: Well, I, I think we would be remiss if we didn't initially start talking about Ivan Pace jr. I had a fourth-round grade on him coming into the NFL draft, and one of the reasons why he was so low for me was I didn't think he could move laterally well at all, and he was a liability in coverage. Plus, being 5'10", 230, not exactly a guy that you can just stack and shed. He can utilize leverage somewhat, but there's a limit once an offensive lineman is actually able to get their hands on you. It's really hard for him to actually shed the block and make a tackle, which is something you need in the running game from your linebackers, and it's a tough find right now with modern day linebackers because you need so much pass coverage. And you're getting a lot of these safety hybrid types like uh, Brian Osamo, a former safety. DeMarvin Overshone was just drafted by the Dallas Cowboys, unfortunately, towards ACL. He was a former safety. And you're getting like these 220, 230 pound linebackers who are relatively skinny, but they can run, they can cover, and they can eat space up quickly. That's kind of the modern day linebackers. You're not finding these thumpers. And that's why Jordan Hicks is going to be a valuable piece for the Vikings this year. He's an old school thumper. You're not going to want him doing a lot of coverage. You're going to want him manning gaps. You're going to want him stacking and shedding, just doing basic core concepts in the running game to be able to prevent some of those long gains. And that's where guys like Asimo and Pace can really take advantage because one of Pace's biggest strengths is rushing the passer, finding gaps, shooting them and being able to utilize his size to kind of sneak in under offensive linemen to be able to create pressure. That's what he's great at. I don't know if he'll ever be an every down linebacker, but what he does well is so good that he's going to find a role on this team for a long time to come because of all those little things I mentioned. And after that, it's it's really Ty Chandler. I, I thought the entire time he was going to be running back too. And there, the Vikings tried out Kenny Wongu in minicamp. And I opine like, well, are they actually believing in Wongwu Because they haven't shown it in two years, two different staffs. Or is this them trying to see if they can make something work moving forward? Well, he got hurt. So we'll never really know how much he would have truly progressed throughout camp. But Chandler took uh, the bull by the horns and ran with it and earned that job. His performance against the Seahawks was excellent. And then he followed that up with a good performance against the Titans. And he didn't even have to play against the Cardinals, which shows you how much he improved over that time. And thirdly, it's an odd winner. And I know I'll probably get to meet in the comments for it, but I'm going to give it to Lewis scene for this reason. It's not necessarily the performance. It's the fact that he's out there getting reps and he's able to start working on improving the things he needs to, which can only be fixed by reps. So from that aspect, I'm calling him a winner outside of that. There's, there's really not a whole lot. Jay Ward flashed against the Cardinals, but he wasn't really around those first two preseason games where he was making like really nice plays, but he flashed really big in the third game. So that was nice to see. Obviously my boy, Jaron Hall, that showing progress each game. We, we have no idea what he's going to be moving forward, but there's, you see that kind of growth throughout the three preseason games over the course of two and a half weeks. That's really big as far as, being hopeful for what the future can be. And I thought that that was really nice, but there wasn't a whole lot noteworthy with this, this group of young players. And sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes it's a bad thing. It depends how you contextualize it. But I think uh, for blatantly different reasons, Pace Jr., Chandler, and scene are my big winners of training camp from this young group.
2: Interesting list there, man. Um, Pace probably being like the crown jewel, for sure, biggest winner here, right? I mean, UDFA, who made the most of his opportunities, probably going to be a starter or play at least significant snaps uh, come week one and beyond for the Vikings. Ty Chandler was weird because I feel like in the first maybe week, we could have maybe had him in the loser category. But I think as time progressed, he clearly earned the running back two spot. I wouldn't say he won it. He's not a winner by default, but he definitely, I think, turned enough heads and said, no, this guy definitely wins the RB 2 job. By default. Boom. Perfect way to sum it up. And then Lewis Seen, that's interesting, because I wonder if Miles maybe has that in the loser category here. I like your explanation, Forno, uh, but Miles, who are the biggest losers for you in training camp? And I guess, just to get get it out of the way, was Seen one of them?
1: I mean, to a degree, yes, I would say he is, but to Forno's point, I think it's hard to put him on the same level as some of the other guys, mainly because of the injuries coming off of and just the reps he needs. It's really hard to expect a guy to come back from an injury like he, a compound fracture that he had in the middle of the season last year and come back and and play with the confidence and play with the like tenacity that you would hope for um but to the same degree I still think being the fourth fifth safety on the team is isn't a great thing for a first round pick in year two but i'm I, I don't have him I have him on my list as as one as a loser but not in like this probably more ways of like what forno is saying as I think there's some positives to take from it and I don't want to just only make it all about the negatives for him because I think there's a lot more. Whereas the guy that I kind of want to take some of the negatives for is Andrew Booth Jr. Um, I, think, I think there's more of a negative to say about him because, yes, there were injuries for him as well, but that dude's never been healthy. And that's one, that's one that's issue for him. for him. And then the other issue for him is the fact that he just hasn't played well. He hasn't really shown enough to warrant the team to trust him to be the, even the fourth cornerback on this team right now. He's behind Joe Williams. Like that dude was playing into the second half on Saturday against the Cardinals. And you just saw a lot of inconsistent play. And I don't know if you want to chalk it up to like the scheme change for him last year into this year with Brian Flores, or if you want to just chalk it up to the fact that the health and just not picking up the defense as well as you'd like him to. Um, But the technique and just letting guys that you would hope a second round pick wouldn't let win are beating him. And like guys like Jake Bobo for the, the Seahawks, you know, you no, know, guys that are lesser named, um, UDFAs and those types of things, just kind of beating him one-on-one when you wouldn't expect a player of his talent to, to kind of beat, to let him beat him. So I'm a little, I'm just disappointed in that. And like, we just haven't seen more. And my hope is, I know there's been talk of like him getting cut, him getting traded. I think it's premature to, to like go that route. I think they should keep him, try to develop him behind the scenes, be your fifth cornerback or what have you, and see if he can build off of, um, some of these snaps that he's been able to have over the last couple of preseason games. But um, yeah, he'd be my, my first loser. Um, or, and then, then to, to piggyback off that, I think Brian Asamoah is kind of my next one, <laughs> not because I think he's bad. It's more so because of the injury allowed a guy like Ivan Pace to kind of usurp him and take some of his snaps away. Now I think Pace was going to earn those reps, but I think they, those reps could have been earned um, over a guy like uh, Troy Dye or over a guy like. Um, uh, I'm drawing a blank on the starter, um, J- Jordan Hicks, excuse me, um, like a guy over Jordan Hicks, whereas he's taking those reps with Jordan Hicks instead of over Jordan Hicks. And I know he's a similar style of a player to Brian Osamoa, so I get why like, those two guys who play sim- the same type of position, um, and maybe they'll play together on sub-packages and second-and-longs and third-and-longs in obvious passing situations. But I just saw Osamoa's injuries and just kind of coming off slow in camp just didn't help him. Um, and it just allowed a, a a UDFA like Ivan Pace to kind of take over some of the reps that you would have hoped Asimo would have just secured as a, this is our every down yeah. linebacker. And then Pace maybe will come in in other, in other situations where it feels like Pace is going to come in um, maybe for Osamo at times. So um, that's mainly more wise a loser. And we didn't, get, we didn't get to see enough of him during camp. And I think that's just as a year two guy, that's just unfortunate. Um, and then my last one, Uh, I kind of had two guys here, but I think Estes de Otomo, Otomo, excuse me, the D-end, he kind of had, like, a positionless offseason. Like, they they mixed him in a little bit at edge. He's playing D-end. He's kind of a, like, tweener. But he seems to be getting usurped by guys like Ross Blacklock and uh, Jonathan Bullard, who both didn't play on Saturday. And so, well, Blacklock did, but Bullard didn't. And so my issue is a little bit there is um, a guy in year two you'd hope would maybe take jobs from those those veterans that are on minimum deals. And I just don't think he's done that. And so it wouldn't surprise me at this point if he's the guy that gets cut and then you put him on the practice squad and um, and maybe he continues to develop there. But I just don't think he's done enough um, during training camp and during preseason to kind of like secure a job where you'd hope a guy and a fifth round pick in year two would, would maybe take that over. And we just haven't seen that from him.
2: It's all really interesting players here, Miles, because Andrew Booth was a second-round pick, and in general, that draft class is just looking really weird for the Vikings, mm-hmm. and I know we still should let the season play out for accurately judging it, uh, but between him and Seen kind of being basically the first two picks in the Quasi era and them tracking probably not to be impact players, even in year two, not a great sign. Brian Asamoah is weird because he's still obviously going to probably play a lot in week one. Mm-hmm. But you're right that I think everyone when they first hired Flores, that was maybe the first one everyone kind of thought outside of like Daniil and Harrison Smith, of course, that that was an exciting one that Flores can really sink his teeth into. And instead, I don't think it was Brian Osmoa playing poorly in training camp. It was probably more of Ivan Pace living up, um, taking an opportunity and running with it to the point where he just might be a better player and better fit for Flores, where Osmoa still mixes in. Um, and then a yeah, I mean, they, they need someone on the defensive line, somewhere to basically step up, and that's a big, I think, position of weakness for them right now. Um, both trenches, basically, defensive and offensive line. Uh, but Forno, what do you think of those lists? Booth, Asamo, and Ezy kind of being the loser bin uh, for training camp for the Vikings this year?
0: I don't really have any issue with it. I, I would have considered putting uh, and Roy on the list for one reason. Guy didn't play the first two preseason games, and What with his trajectory downfall when it came to draft stock is he was actually projected by Bleacher Report to be the Vikings first round pick last summer. And he obviously fell to the fifth round. A lot of that had to do with LSU turmoil bringing in Brian Kelly. And there's that video of him basically standing behind a prospect going like this and just looking like he is actually just an old white dude, which he is an old (laughs) white dude, but it just made himself look even more so like one. And there was a lot of turmoil coming from that program. The Kayshawn booty stuff where there was rumors of him doing all kinds of things, which I won't say on the air, but if you know, you know, and I just wanted to see him play more. He was obviously getting some reps with the ones this past week during practice, but he needs reps. He needs the ability to get on the field. And I thought that aspect kind of made him uh, a loser for me and Asamoah the, he needs to play. That's, that was that's my, that was it for me too. Yep. Yeah. If he doesn't play it, his biggest issue is misreading gaps. So if he needs to hit the a gap on the right side, but then he instead, Oh, I'm going to hit the B gapped on the left. to because I think that's where the run is going. That's what turns a five yard gain into a 30 yard gain. And those are the reasons why he wasn't playing a lot last year because he just wasn't consistent in that area. That comes with time. You can't learn that and drill that with Madden. You can do a little bit of that with film, but you need to be able to see that in a live game situation. That's just something you, it's very difficult to simulate. So I'm, I really would have liked to see him actually get extended run in the preseason for that reason. And he didn't. And that could really show up big in the first few weeks of the Viking season. And one of the reasons why you've seen speculation, including from Doogie, that there's potential that pace could end up being that starting linebacker, which I don't think should be the case, but he needs time to just figure out the little nuances because one, if he picks the right gap and he points and shoots, he makes really big plays. And that that can be a massive benefit to the Vikings, create third and longs, and make things a lot easier for the defense. But he needs to be able to get out there and play. And it was really disappointing he wasn't able to.
1: Hey, you wait, know what's you, funny? Go ahead,
0: Miles.
2: Yep,
1: I was just to say what's funny to me is the first two picks in the twenty twenty three draft would be considered winners, and then the first two picks in the twenty twenty two draft. I mean, I, I know like Cena is in a different situation, but mm-hmm. like they're kind of losers in that aspect. So it's kind of a a reverse role there. Yeah. But I think. Besides those two, most of the young guys are kind of losers in a lot of ways. I don't not like losers, like, but I think there's just not a lot of guys that have stepped up the way you'd like them to. Like Jalen Naylor missed all of camp essentially. Andre Carter mm-hmm. was a, was a huge like UDFA signing, got like one of the most UDFA like guaranteed money in like the history of the NFL um McBride was a disappointment so it's just a lot of young guys you just didn't we didn't see enough of them step up like I think we would have liked them to
2: so that's what I was about to ask about Andre Carter the Andre Andre Carter who um yeah got 300,000 base contract a $40,000 signing bonus yeah Mm -hmm. Tom Pellicero noted it was one of the biggest commitments ever to a UDFA is this someone Tyler you see going on the practice squad most likely does he not make the 53 then
0: I really don't know. It depends on what the Vikings Intel is on, if they can actually sneak him onto the practice squad. Because when you watched him, he was exactly what you thought he'd be. When he bends around the edge and gets a really nice speed rush, excellent. He can pursue really, really well. He's not strong enough to be able to hold the point of attack. And then once he does actually engage, well, he doesn't have a lot as far as a pass rush repertoire. That's fixable. Like, I can teach you how to use your hands. I can teach you a rip move. I can teach you a swim, a club. I can teach you all those little things. I can't teach you strength. You got to be able to put that on yourself. He looked significantly bigger when I saw him in training camp than when I watched his army film. That's a net positive. But the, the core strength still isn't there to an NFL degree. And it may not be for one or two more years, just because when you talk about the military training versus NFL training, they're counterintuitive to each other. And that's one of the things that makes a transition from the military academies to the NFL extremely difficult. So when I take a look at what his prospects are, it's do the Vikings think they can sneak him out of the practice squad. Last year, they kept Luigi Villain, and his preseason was very inconsistent. I wouldn't be shocked if they try to make a trade for a guy like DJ Wanham, because I just I think he's completely replaceable. And you might be able to get a fourth or fifth round pick for him. And that could be a benefit to and that's how you end up keeping an Andre Carter. So when you're playing all this roster math, there's a lot to go into it, but Carter was exactly who I thought he was. Great bending is not strong enough to be rosterable, but that still may get him picked up by another team.
2: Let's take a look too at this uh 2023 Vikings roster and maybe see who doesn't make the 53. One guy that wasn't on either wasn't on the loser list, at least from Miles. Dwayne McBride, who was someone we hyped up a lot uh, when the Vikings drafted them. Great college career. Had an opportunity to maybe be RB2. But probably, I think, of all the six guys, Jordan Addison, Makai Blackman, Jay Ward, Jaqueline Roy, Jaron Hall, Dwayne McBride's probably the one, and maybe Jaqueline Roy, that doesn't make the 53. Miles, do you think Dwayne McBride's more of a practice squad guy?
1: Yeah, I, I think he's a practice a guy at this at this stage. The way they've they've talked to veteran running backs and yeah. considering those guys like a Mike Davis or even a cream Hunt, I just don't think they I don't think McBride's ready. He doesn't look explosive. He like I think there's there's obviously some solid runs, and we saw it on Saturday from him. And he looked better in the third game than he did the first two, but um, I just don't think he's ready for you to trust him to be your third or fourth running back. He's just not. Like they need a guy that can can step in if Chandler gets, if Chandler and Madison get hurt and McBride just isn't ready for that. So I think he's a, an easy practice squad candidate for me.
2: Yeah, it was really too bad. Cause I thought he was going to be potentially a backup running back here uh, mm-hmm. with it being basically an open competition behind Alexander Madison. Uh, do you think for that Dwayne McBride will stay on the practice squad and he won't get snatched up by another team? Do you think he's able to kind of stay here and get some reps or is he someone that could actually be pounced? And if uh, the Vikings put him on the practice squad,
0: I don't think you let him off the roster and it's not necessarily saying that he's earned a spot on the roster based on his performance so far during training camp in the preseason, but there's a lot of potential there and teams saw that UAB tape where he was the number one rusher in all of college football with over seven yards of carry. He runs like a, like a car wreck and some of the issues that he had were poor blocking and yeah, he needed to be able to show a little bit more wiggle with breaking tackles. And being able to see and hit the hole. But a lot of the issues that he was experiencing in the running game were not his fault. And I think that's that really manifested itself a lot in the Arizona game where he was getting holes opened up for him and being able to hit them. I think if you put him with the first team offense, he'd be okay, And I think that's something where that can really make an impact on what we think of a lot of these young players. And. I, I really don't think with his talent, you can sneak him onto the practice squad. Yeah, it, there's very few players who get claimed every single year. But McBride only fell because of uncertainty with what his measurables were. And I think he put enough on that in that Cardinals game to show, yeah, he's going to be just fine. And there's really something to develop with him. I, I don't think they can afford to let him go just the same way they kept Ty Chandler last year.
2: Taking a look at the quarterback side. So, Jaron Hall uh, finally gets a start, plays really well, honestly. I thought, in, in maybe you can call a very meaningless preseason game, but still meaningful for a lot of different players. He gets the start, leads a couple touchdown drives. Um, Miles, what did you like from Jaron Hall from that preseason game? And a two prong question, too Should they have made the trade for Trey Lance, or did they do the right thing, not forfeiting a third uh, day three pick and just keeping Jaron Hall?
1: Well, to start, I think um, Jaren Hall played really well. I think the first half is the area I wanted to focus on the most because that's when most of the second, third-team guys, NFL-type players are going to be on the on the field. Whereas that second half, there's more the third-string guys that, that are literally trying to just stay in the NFL and practice squads and maybe XFL, UFL-type tryouts, CFL-type tryouts. So um, I thought he looked really good in the first half. And what I was excited about was it they didn't overcomplicate it for him. They did a lot of boots. They did a lot of those things for him to make easier reads and decisions. And I think as he develops and gets those reps, that's just really important for young guys to just kind of get his feet wet by giving him some easier opportunities. And I thought I loved uh, it was the one throw to Blake Pro. I think he stepped up in the he stepped up in the pocket, found him coming across over on an over route and hit him right near the sideline. And I just thought that was it was like a, it reminded me of Teddy Bridgewater a little bit. I'm not saying he's going to become Teddy Bridgewater, but I think you know I, I love that I love the anticipation, the throw. The and the awareness to like hit that, fit fit it in the in the in the really small window that there was there, um, and I just thought he had really good command. It's really tough for a young guy to come in and kind of own a huddle, and I thought he did a good job getting people lined up. Uh, see, you know, didn't really seem to have any too many like pre snap issues, and I think that in itself is really important for a young quarterback to be able to get in and out of a huddle. So um, I thought he I thought he played well, especially after the first the first preseason game. I thought we've seen consistent progress as you would like to see from a fifth round. Quarterback, uh, rookie quarterback, and so I, I was excited just to see that. So I think that in itself probably earned him a, a role in the fifty-three and to be that third quarterback um, and develop behind the scenes. So I'm excited about that. Then to answer your second question, I wanted Trey Lance back in the spring. I think it made sense before the draft if you're going to send a, th- a day three pick that, it, like, because then you have all off season and all camp to work with Trey Lance. But you already drafted Jaron Hall to be that kind of like third string. Backup development type quarterback. Now I know Trey, Trey's younger, but he's more expensive, and there's just a little bit more. Uh, I don't want to say. Uh, I don't want. I don't want to call it like uh, like he's got like a package to him, but like, like I, I just think um, baggage. I don't think there's more baggage to Trey Lance, but I think there's more expectation. And so I think with Jaron Hall, you have a really good job of um, de- developing him. Whereas Lance, you would take you would have brought him in really late, and you just didn't have enough time to like work with him to make a clear decision on him. Whereas you've had all offseason with Jaron Hall and using that pick. It just didn't make sense to to do that unless Trey Lance was ready to be a backup. And at that case, I don't think he's ready to be your backup quarterback heading into week one.
2: All right, Forno, you're the biggest uh, Jaron Hall fan, I know. But you also were tweeting out over the weekend and week leading up to the Trey Lance trade that it was just a big fumble by San Francisco, rightfully so, three first-round picks. And they boot him off basically 18 months later was there any type of room to have Trey Lance and Jaron Hall on the roster together? Or did you just like the fact that in mortgage a day three pick to get Trey Lance, I guess, how did you see that situation playing out from your end of things?
0: My perspective is I still think Trey Lance can be a really good starting quarterback in the league. He got screwed. Royally screwed. The, the Niners look, Hey, we got destroyed by Josh Allen. Kyle's like, Oh, I need my own type of Josh Allen, a guy who can just take things to a different level in my offense. So he gets Trey Lance understands that Trey Lance needs time. Not only does he need time, he needs to play. He needs reps. That's the one thing he needs more than anything. And he doesn't get it. And part of it is on him because he got unfortunately injured. And part of it was on Kyle Shannon's hubris. I, you can't look to me square in the eye and tell me Brock Purdy is a really good NFL quarterback. He's not, he is the product of Kyle Shanahan's offense. And if Kyle Shanahan's offense can get that out of Brock Purdy, why can it not get that out of Trey Lance? Make all he did was make things easy for Brock Purdy. Hey, this guy's going to be open at this point in space, hit him and let him take over like that. Debo Samuel crosser for a touchdown in the wild card game for 75 yards. That wasn't Brock Purdy. Brock Purdy hit a five-yard hitch route to Brandon Ayuk in one of the preseason games, 41 yards. They have the talent to be able to do that and to say, hey, I'm going to roll with Brock Purdy who didn't have a strong arm and is coming off Tommy John surgery, who was the last pick in the draft for a reason because he's not a good quarterback and completely give up on your number three overall pick when he's still a massive question mark because he needs time to play is something that's going to get Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch fired. I really believe that. Now, do I think that Trey Lance is going to for sure hit? No, nobody knows. And that's why I thought it would have been worth a day three pick. Even if you have Jaron Hall, you bring both of them in. Guess what? Now you have two potential legit options to take over a starting quarterback in 2024. Because right now you have just Jaron Hall, who's a even bigger wild card than Trey Lance. He was a fifth round pick. But the more chances you have to find that guy, the better off you are. Hell. The Dallas Cowboys, 1989 draft, first overall, they draft Troy Aikman. Supplemental draft a few months later, they spend their 1990 first-round pick to get Steve Walsh out of Miami. They let them battle it out in training camp. Guess what? Aikman won. They flipped Steve Walsh for first, second, and third-round picks to the New Orleans Saints, and that really helped like, spike that rebuild and help them make a dynasty in the early 90s. The more opportunities you have to find that guy, the more options there are, the better off you are at actually finding him. And I would have loved to have gotten him 940,000 this year, 5.3 million next year, 5.3 million, whatever. And then you could probably find someone to take Nick Mullins and that $4 million contract. It would have been a smart idea to bring him in the building and see what you have. But if they didn't, they obviously looked back at what they saw last year in and those joint practices and probably didn't see enough where they wanted to make that call so from that perspective i get it from my perspective with what he had with what his potential is and how we have so many variables that we have not figured out yet to see if he can actually reach that potential i think it could have been a mistake to not make the move but either way it's i think we're going to be fine i i trust kevin o'connell find that guy and who knows it may be jaron hall I would have liked to have bring Trey Lance in because the more shots you have, the better.
2: Absolutely. It's the hardest position to develop. You got Kevin O'Connell here too, That's which is a uh, better uh, system for developing a quarterback. I'm glad they ended up eating the pick or not eating the pick, keeping the pick, excuse me, and just letting Jaron Hall develop. If you want to find another quarterback uh, in the future, next year's draft, which might be a topic on this show, a lot moving forward beyond 2023. Uh, go for it. But I think it was the right call to just kind of pass, let Jaron Hall develop, see what you got there. Uh, fellas, before we get into some college football prospects to watch, uh, any other Vikings roster takes that you guys have that you wanted to unleash here before we get to college football stuff?
1: Yeah. Lowe getting traded? Yeah, I mean, I thought that was interesting, just mm-hmm. in the simple fact that you know, as a as a second year player who looked like he was developing pretty well as like a backup left mm-hmm. tackle. I know that's he is. He played primarily right, primarily right tackle last year. I know he's a third string. Um, but he, he seemed to be moving back over to the left side this year. Um, looked pretty good in the preseason, um, but the Vikings recouped their six, six round pick that they used to to draft him last year. So um, I just thought that was interesting. Out of all the guys that they were going to move, it was the young guy, whereas he still had you know, including this year, three years of team control. Uh, whereas Udo and and, and Brandel were uh, are on expiring deals. So I was a little surprised by that, but maybe they just didn't think low fit, and they wanted to give him an opportunity to find a chance to go to new England where he might have a better opportunity to see the field than he does in, in Minnesota. But um, I just thought that was an interesting move by, by quasi and team to, to move on from a, a six round pick a, a second, a second year player. That was a six round pick. To kind of pair
0: with that. Uh, Chris Reed restructured his contract. Again, mm-hmm. it's yep. now down to basically the veteran minimum, but it's now fully guaranteed. We're coming into the area at a $2.4 million salary. None of it was guaranteed. They shrunk it to 1.4, but guaranteed 600,000. Now it's a vet minimum, but he gets all of it. And that tells me he's going to make the team and he's going to be on the initial 53, but will he stay on NFI and then miss four to six weeks after that? Cause he hasn't done anything at all during training camp, or is it going to be one of those situations where they just wanted Blake Brandle to get cross trained at guard. So they worked him there all preseason. And then he's just going to go right back out to being that swing tackle. And that now you have somebody who can play more multiple spots and I think that's the, probably the most intriguing thing for me. They brought in a lot of tackles to see if they could find somebody to stay on the roster. But all of them were bad, as most tackles that you find off of the street are at the NFL level. So I, I think that's probably the, the most intriguing thing for me. Um, disappointed, Tay Gowen, uh was waived. I was holding out hope he may be able to get one of those last roster spots because I really liked him. And I thought at times he played really well. But I think his spot is going to Najee Thompson.
2: All right, boys, let's get into some uh, college football prospects. This is Forno's uh, Christmas. By the way, this is presented by our friends mm-hmm. at Bennington and Power Lodge. Okay, you can get up to Ramsey, you can get up to Brainerd, Mille Lacs, Minnesota. All these locations in Minnesota have a ton of Power Lodge, a ton of um, great uh, uh, miller uh, uh, boats and and plenty of fun toys basically at your disposal. You can go up to uh, the Bain one in St. Cloud where I went to college and get one of these great Bennington pontoons. A lot of great toys, basically, at Power Lodge. Go to PowerLodge.com to find the lowest, uh, nearest location for youth. At. Shout out to them uh, for sponsoring Purple Daily-related programming. This is Tom Bernard. Can't get enough of sports talk with Phil Mackey and Judd Zolgad? Tune in to the new Tom Bernard Show podcast Monday
1: through Friday as Phil and Judd join me to discuss the latest sports headlines and whatever else comes to mind.
0: Just download the Tom Bernard Show app wherever you get your podcasts or visit TomBernardShow.com. It's another way to get more from me and Judd talking sports and having fun with Tom, and it's all at your fingertips. Download the Tom Bernard Show app now and join the conversation.
2: Forno, uh, this is your this is your Christmas, man. This is this weekend mm-hmm. now. It started, obviously, I saw the butt-kicking Notre Dame put on Navy and Ireland uh, over the weekend, but now everyone's uh, basically going to be taking the gridiron this weekend on the college ranks uh, locally here. The Gophers obviously host Nebraska, and I heard the bank's going to be sold out. Uh, but college football prospects, what are some guys um, that you're looking forward to watching this weekend?
0: Oh, boy. L- let me tell you, this slate is not great if you're a casual college football fan. There's not a lot of great matchups. The best one is probably on ABC, North Carolina traveling to South Carolina. We'll kind of start there. Drake May versus Spencer Rattler, two quarterbacks with a lot of talent. I think Drake May's QB won at this exact moment. Now, Caleb Williams still has an opportunity to overseed him, but may is so much better at just playing technically sound, being able to work through progressions in the pocket and Caleb Williams phenomenal, but he doesn't play within structure, in my opinion, well enough to overseat may, but I have it very, very close. Uh, Williams is just absolutely absurd, but he tries to make sports centers top 10 every single play and doesn't just take the easy stuff. And to me, I want, at the NFL level, I want somebody who's going to be more willing to take that easy stuff, those 10-yard in routes, those hitches. I want that because that's going to translate a little bit more than just doing uh, the crazy stuff. Because, hell, Johnny Manziel did the crazy stuff, and he did it really well. Mm-hmm. But it, the basic stuff still wins you football games. That's why Patrick Mahomes is so good. Because it's not just the, the crazy stuff. The crazy stuff is incredible but he he hits those easy intermediate routes. And that's why the chiefs are so good because he's just able to play the position of quarterback, not the position of playmaker so incredibly well. And I think Williams just needs to take a step as a traditional quarterback. And then he's going to be QB one, but may has that already. And he already has a flair for the dramatic. It's not nearly to the level of Caleb Williams, but I'm a, I'm a big Drake may guy. Rattler obviously has that cannon five-star kid. A lot of people remember him from that uh, Netflix show where he just came off like, like a pretentious jackass. Well, he's fine now. And he, he learned from that experience. And you talk to anybody in that South Carolina program that because Shane Beamer was his offensive coordinator initially at Oklahoma. They talk about how much he's matured and he's grown as an adult. And I think that's important to note. He's not the same person. And he really came on at the end of last year, balled out against Tennessee top five team, Balled out against Clemson top 10 team, won both of those games, and then played well against the top 15 Notre Dame team in the Gator Bowl. So, how is Spencer Rattler going to be this year? Is he going to be able to finally put it all together? Is Drake May going to be able to continue? Because Phil Longo's not there anymore. And Phil Longo is an offensive genius when it comes to college football. A lot of variables in that matchup. Uh, Jaden Daniels versus Jordan Travis on Sunday. That's going to be fun. Jordan Travis is getting a lot of hype out of Florida State. I think we need to calm down just a little bit. I don't think he's nearly that level of an NFL prospect, but he is exciting to watch play football and everything out of LSU's Jaden Daniels has really taken a big step this off season, but he's always been a liability as a passer great on it with his legs, but very inconsistent throwing the football. How is that going to manifest itself this year? Has he really taken that step? And that's going to be a fun game to watch out of Orlando. Three more guys if you've probably never heard of him, but wide receiver, Torrey Horton, Colorado state transferred from Nevada. And he is a really good wide receiver in a college fantasy football dynamo, but he's going to face his best competition in Washington state in week one. If he can really perform well against a good power five team with a Jake Dickert run defense, that is something that can really manifest his draft stock and put him on the radar. Of people in the national media. And I'm excited to kind of see how that plays out. Plus, Cam Ward's in that game. And Cam Ward is basically Kyler Murray, if Kyler Murray was sized like a real adult, because Ward is like 6'2", 205. Uh, two more, Quinn Ewers, out of Texas, very inconsistent last year. They called him Mullet Mahomes coming out of college or high school. He had a perfect one rating uh, in the 24 7 sports composite, meaning he was the number one prospect across all of the recruiting services but he was inconsistent last year. Everybody points the Alabama game where he balled out, but then he got hurt right away at the beginning of the second quarter. Labrum injury on his non-throwing shoulder, same injury Baker Mayfield had in 2021 where he really struggled. And I think that manifested a lot of those struggles last season. How is he going to be able to do this season? Can he take a step with Arch Manning breathing down his neck for that job? The goal is to have Ewer start this year, play really well, go to the NFL and then Arch takes over in 2024 but if you were struggles, how is Arch Manning going to take over? Something to watch. Last guy. I don't like him at all. And I don't think he's going to be a good NFL prospect. But a lot of people do. And his name is Joe Milton out of Tennessee. And they face Virginia week one. Milton, 6'5", 260, he's built like a Mack truck. The Dante Culpepper comparisons are interesting because of the body frame. Milton's not nearly the athlete that Dante Culpepper was. But he has a bigger arm than Josh Allen. And he can throw it like 90 yards. Like, some of the throws he makes are just absurd. But he won the starting job in Michigan, got benched. He won the starting job in Tennessee over Hendon Hooker, got benched in three games. He has been massively inconsistent his entire career. He's now 24 years old and playing in the most friendly offense in all of college football. How is he going to be able to stay consistent? Can he stay consistent? Can he hit the layups and not just layer it over the top of everybody, which is what he did against Clemson in the Orange Bowl? I want to see if he can actually be a quarterback Or if he's a driving range guy and what I mean is he can hit that deep ball. He can throw a beautiful pass, but can he do all the intricacies within the course of an offense because this is going to have him only use half field reads. It's basically going to be I'm going to look at this safety and it's going to tell me to go to one side and then I just have to wait for the slant to come open on the slant flat. That's basically what the offense tells you to do. It's very, very simplistic, very simple for a quarterback to run, and it makes their stats just go through the roof, which is one of the reasons why Hendon Hooker was so hyped last year, even though the hype was completely unwarranted, in my opinion. Milton has the potential to be that next guy.
2: But the there's so
0: many red. Players.
2: Look at that. I mean, if you, uh, if you want your... I am
1: the f- game, JR. If
2: you want your uh, college football prospect nerds right there that you just got a boatload from Forno so uh, be on the lookout for those miles miles anyone from your end uh from a college football standpoint or team or player uh you're really looking forward to watching this weekend or even this season as a whole
1: well I thought Forno would love Joe Milton by the way like that's just like his typical mm-hmm. like big physical big arm you know Carson Strong type type quarterback I know he's more athletic than that but Carson um, I was, I was gonna- Accurate though. Joe Milton.
0: Sure. sure. It, it's like it's like watching watching a <laughs> nine-year-old kid try to hit
1: targets at the local carnival. <laughs> it, it it's all over the place. I am excited to see him play though this year, because it, it is kind of a defining moment for him because there is a lot of hype for him going into the season. Um so he was definitely one of the guys on my list. Um, but like the Florida State LSU game, I'm not sure how I'm gonna like how Florida State's gonna be this year. Um, but I, I do like um I, I kind of wish we'd, um, in that game, there's, you know, there's Jared Verse, their, their defensive lineman, edge rusher. Um, I know he's a good player that that I've, I've started to, like, look into um, heading into week one. Um, I wish Mason Smith from LSU was going get, to get to play. He got, he tore his ACL in his first, in week one last year uh, in this very game. Um, they were trying to move the game back just so they could get him back, but he's not going to be able to make it back. He's their interior rusher. Um, so he's another guy that I was hoping to see, but I hope, as the year he progresses, he can... anyways,
0: he got suspended. Did he get suspended? Week. Did I miss yeah, that for taking an impermissible benefit?
1: <laughs> I missed that, so I missed that. Okay, in this day and age, in literally, how do you how do you do that in in the way that the NIL is now, dude? Like, come on! I missed that, so thanks for that update. Um, but he was someone I'm, I'm still, I'm still curious to like watch because I think there's potential there. Um, and then uh, Jordan Travis, the the quarterback there as well. I just think he's a. He's got some potential to maybe become something. And then Jaden Daniels, the LSU quarterback transfer, um, isn't shown a lot, but hey, hey, maybe there's something there with the dual threat ability that he's got that LSU can help unlock that I don't think Arizona State was able to.
2: Love it, boys. That is a meat and potatoes episode of Purple Daily on Draft. You got uh, first and second year players, winners and losers. You have Jaron Hall, uh, Trey Lance conversation, college football prospects. All this stuff is what you can expect right here on Purple Daily on Draft every Monday on the Purple Daily YouTube channel. Next week is Labor Day, so maybe a little programming note. Uh, we might have an episode maybe on the next day, Tuesday. We'll uh, we'll, we'll discuss that and get that at you, though, know, sometime next week. Um, Purple Daily on draft every Monday here on the Purple Daily YouTube channel where we just want to see the Vikings win a Super Bowl before we die.